My life is really um, complex. There are things about me that you wouldn't understand. Now playing's Batman Movie Retrospective Series. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Part of the Now Playing DC Comics Movie Series. Ah, uh, gives a fella a good feeling to know they're up there doing their job. With our all-star hosts, Jacob the Dark Knight. Under this garb, we're perfectly ordinary Americans. Stuart, the boy reviewer. They may be drinkers, Robin, but they're also human beings. And the clown prince of podcasting, Arnie. Their forces combined. Their minimum objective must be the entire world. Each week at NowPlayingPodcast.com, we'll be watching another Batman film, ending with a weekend of release review of Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises. Now, the real game begins. What are you protecting me from? Have you ever danced with a spoiler in the pale moonlight? This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. What do you suppose something like this does to a kid? Listener discretion is advised. Enough monkey business. We've got work to do. Here we go. What is full of cheese, yet cannot be eaten? Batman, starring Adam West, Burt Ward, Lee Merriweather, Cesar Romero, Burgess Meredith, and Frank Gorshin. Yo-ho! This is Arnie, co-ho-host of Now Playing. (laughs) Arnie or Santa Claus? I can't determine. (laughs) Was Santa ever a villain in the Batman universe? He should have been. At least this one. Stuart in L.A. And this is Jacob and... Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. I think that's our new motto for now playing. I feel like that's our mission statement. Yes, we are here continuing our spandex podcast reviews with the Batman series and Stuart for all his kicking, screaming, and bawling throughout a year plus of Marvel was the one who said, we got to do Batman. Well, there's a certain Batman he wants to do, at least. Yes. I have not been reserved about my admiration for all things Christopher Nolan. I'm the one that insisted we do Inception when no one knew what the hell that was. And I've deeply enjoyed what his take has been on this character that I've followed throughout. I've seen all of the movies in this one. This won't be like Marvel. I know what I'm going to get. And I think I know the ones that are going to hurt and the ones that are going to be enjoyable. I have seen every single one of these at least once. And don't mind saying that I deeply love the Nolan works. Well, the ones that I've seen. No one yet has seen Dark night rises but Stuart, we've done one dc one and um not a great record green lantern <laughs> I, I don't know how excited you should be oh yeah wow no not one of my favorites i do forget about that one 
So Batman isn't our first foray into DC. That's too bad. <laughs> Thanks to the listeners and their vote. Yeah. But me, I've said in the Marvel series that I've been a superhero multimedia fan my whole life. And when I was a kid, I didn't know Marvel from DC. I didn't discover that until the late 80s and 90s. And while I've always preferred the Marvel characters... DC and Image are more than acceptable substitutes, so I grew up with Batman and Superman just as much as I did Spider-Man and the Hulk, and yeah, I grew up watching the old Batman series. I have seen all of these before as well, as well as many of the animated direct-to-DVD things, the animated series. I'm... I've only read a few Batman comics in my life, but I'm pretty steeped in the Batman multimedia mythology from the Nintendo game all the way to Arkham City, and I am looking forward to many, many episodes of Batman Adventures. And for me, Batman's where it's at. When it comes to A-list superheroes... This is what got me started into comics. This is the character I go to. I'm excited for this, not just because of the Nolan stuff, but it'll be fun revisiting the Burton stuff. That's really what got me into comics. That's what got me to walk into a comic book store. And for this Adam West Batman stuff, Arnie, what Bixby was for you as a child, the Adam West Batman series, for me, vivid childhood memories watching this as a kid. So you're going to be reviewing every episode of the Batman series at the Venganza Media Gazette, all 120 (sighs) episodes? I've got them all in bootleg. Won't be doing that, though. Um, (laughs) I just don't have the dedication you do, Arnie. Smart man. For me, growing up, I watched this all the time on Saturday mornings after the cartoons. I thought I was so sophisticated watching a show with grown-ups. I didn't know it was supposed to be funny, the Adam West, Burt Ward Batman. I had no idea what camp was. I took it all as dead serious as they deliver the lines. And it wasn't until many years later, I'm like, oh, they meant to be funny. That's the genius of the Adam West series. As a kid, you totally take this seriously. I remember then starting watching it as a teenager, which is when they'd rerun it whenever a new Batman film would come out. And I'd be like, I don't think this is really supposed to be serious. I think it's kind of funny. And then now I totally get the joke. I think my earliest memories of Batman actually weren't the show at all. They were probably the Justice League cartoon, and then I came to the show later. But by the time that the Tim Burton movie came out, we were inundated with everything that had come before. This series looms at least as large over the first four Batman films, if not the Nolan ones. And we've talked so often during all of our Marvel retrospectives about how these movies sometimes look at the 60s Batman series for inspiration. Jacob, is this what comic books were like in the 60s and 50s? Is this what Batman was like in the comics? Is how he's portrayed in this old series? People like to say that this is what made Batman into this campy, silly character. That in his original 40s that he was so gritty and he's running around with his gun shooting the bad guys. Which is true, but I've read that original stuff. They introduced Robin, the boy from the circus, pretty early on. And they're fighting genies and bottles and pirates it got more emphasized in the 50s and 60s when again we've talked about that comics code before where you couldn't have those more realistic crime elements so you take that away from batman you take him out of the streets what do you have you have this guy that this weird character of the night that's trying to avenge crime going into space and yeah it got really weird in the 50s and 60s when you neutered him 
from his origins because of the comics code. And so this show isn't really that far-fetched compared to the comics at the time. And there were episodes where they were inspired by some comics. They're not direct transcriptions of them, but they were definitely inspired by the comics. But, you know, Arnie, you said the Hulk never got away from Bixby's shadow that people, when they think of the Hulk, they think of Bixby. I think it's true for Batman. Maybe Nolan will be able to change that. Maybe with this younger generation raised on the Nolan interpretation, that might change. But still, my wife, when she thinks of Batman, she loves Batman. Why? Because of Adam West. You think of one of the most pivotal Batman stories there is in the 80s, Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns, one of those comics along with Watchmen that changed the atmosphere. That was Frank Miller reacting to Adam West saying, I'm going to take Batman and put him back on the streets, make him dark and gritty again, because the shadow of this TV series looms so large over the character. I do think that we are the generation that really can fully appreciate Batman because our childhood, we saw this campy, silly, kitty version. And then in our teen years, we saw the more sophisticated and superficially dark Burton Schumacher version. And then as adults, we could be fully prepared for the adult, sophisticated Nolan version. As Batman has aged, so have we, and it's been in sync. But I can't say that this is the defining Batman. It's our first Batman. I think it's our formative Batman. It set the pace for us, but I'm willing to bet there are many people that really aren't even interested in going to see Adam West and Burt Ward. And why should they? Because isn't this kind of disrespectful to start on mockery? I mean, it's kind of unusual that the first entry in the series is intentionally poking fun at its characters. We've seen some bad origin stories. Generation X comes to mind, (laughs) where they all ended up looking like jerks. But here, they're enjoying savaging Batman. It's kind of a surprise to start with parody first. I don't know how much of a parody this is, though. If, again, you read the comics at the time, I think what they're doing here is they're taking the comics somewhat seriously like we're gonna take what's happening on the page and just present it on the screen now this is about a man that dresses up as a bat to nolan's credit he's made that somewhat credible but in its roots it's a ridiculous idea and that's what they're going with they're saying yes it's ridiculous and we're gonna play with that jacob no 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 i've read a lot of 60s comics i haven't read batman 60s comics but as the multimedia guy i've heard interviews with the writers creators and stars of the batman series Series. For this podcast alone, I've sat through many, many hours of it. It takes it to an extreme. They are intentionally poking fun at the hero. There's, in the pilot, a couple of very key moments for Batman where he goes to a restaurant and is asked if he'd like a table, and he goes, yes, but not near the stage. I shouldn't wish to attract attention when he's dressed in that outfit. But see, here's the thing. That's real humor. That's actually funny. That this guy dressed in a bat would say that. It's not just like, here's a bumbling idiot in a bat suit. Like, the humor in here is genuine, I feel. Oh, no one's debating the humor, but we all recognize it as winking. That's not a sophisticated man making a wry joke. That is someone breaking the fourth wall and going, is this dumb or what? (laughs) Yes, but as a kid, you took this totally seriously. And that's what I love about it, how multi-layered it is. This is Christopher Nolan's Batman to you as a kid. You take this for real. And as an adult, it's funny. It is fun to poke. You know, we watched Kick-Ass and that was poking fun at the whole superhero tropes. And this was doing it before Kick-Ass. 
Yes and no, but the difference is Kick-Ass feels like a bit more respectable of the conventions while at the same time being ironic about them. This isn't being ironic. This is almost a parody, I would say. And I think that goes back to Stuart's point, is it's more silly even than the comic sources, which at this time were already pretty damn silly. The comics may have been stupid, but they took themselves seriously, whereas the people making this show are looking right at the audience and going, we're not taking this seriously, you don't take this seriously either, and we'll all just have a good time. And you know what? This 1966, this is anti-authoritarian. Every person in authority in this series is a bumbling fool. Even Batman and Robin. You have the police. Halfway through the first season, the police stop trying to be competent. Like, they would try to solve cases before calling Batman. And, like, halfway through, the most minor crime, and they're on the bat phone calling him Batman. Like, (laughs) that's what I like. To me, it's a good take. They deputize this guy that dresses up as a bat. Let's laugh at the United Nations because they're really not doing anything. Like, this is a very hippie take on the superhero genre. It is, and I'll go ahead and say this much. We have never covered anything that's so specifically what I was genre comedy before. You know, Now Playing has covered many genres, done many different types of things. We've never covered an out-and-out comedy, and this is an out-and-out comedy. I dare say that this is Batman as an adaptation of the comic book. If it's an adaptation of anything, it's an adaptation of Batman the serials. You guys have seen any of those? Slap a jap, yeah. Yeah, 1943 and 1949, they had Captain America and Superman movie serials that ran before the movie you paid to see, 10, 20 minutes of Batman and Robin. This is where the parody comes from. They didn't start at parody. This is what they're parodying. This became so ridiculous. Yeah, it was watching someone like Adam West and Burt Ward playing the characters, but not getting the joke. Go ahead and check it out. Yeah, they spend most of their time fighting an evil Japanese man who's turning everyone into zombies or and feeding alligators. It's nonsensical, but they <laughs> don't get it. And I'm telling you, this is where Batman the series is really drawing its roots from. Not the comics, from these ridiculous serials. I accidentally turned one of those on one day on a Sunday and ended up sitting through like an hour and a half of it before I could take no more. <laughs> yes, it is an endurance test. I dare say anyone could sit through it all in one viewing. There's a reason we're not doing it. <laughs> yes, indeed. They did cut it down. They released something called An Evening with Batman and Robin, and it played the college circuit. You know, this is college humor, this Batman series, and this was the inspiration for it. They were actually midnight moving the best bits of the serials and people were uproarious. They were laughing. And so TV got wise. They were like, how do we get some of this? How do we make this work for us? Because they wanted to bring Batman to the TV like Superman did, you know, with a very straight kitty take, you know, Lone Ranger, something for the afternoon that was only for children. Instead, they got this very clever idea of how to bring in adults and make it something that everyone could enjoy. And it worked. When they tested this for test audiences, it bombed miserably. And the network, if they hadn't already paid for it, was going to yank the plug. When this debuted, it debuted with a 50 share, which, I mean, today, networks fight over a 10 share. This, in its first season, was an enormous hit, just unparalleled. Well, this movie was supposed to be the promotion for the first season, but... Like you said, Arnie, it went off so well, they didn't need this. They threw it over to the foreign markets to sell the series in the foreign markets, but the TV series did exceed expectations. 
The movie, they had talked about launching the series with a movie, but the network jumped the gun and launched it before they could get a movie off the ground. And then when it did so well, there was a big thing going on. They did it with the man from Uncle around this time to try to get TV series into movie theaters as a way to make some extra money and promote the series at the same time. I guess they're still trying it with things like X-Files Fight the Future. Yeah, and that was also a Fox product. I feel like Fox is always quick to spin off their TV franchises into movies and vice versa. I mean, Buffy the Vampire Slayer being another example. That's just kind of the Fox MO. So they ended up making this as a movie was released in theaters between seasons one and two, but TV was very different back then because they'd already had all of season two in the can and filmed before they even started filming this movie. And they only had three seasons of the show. So production wise, this was two thirds of the way through the series. And despite the TV series being a big hit, this movie flopped. What? Yes, it did miserably. It did not make any money. Everybody considered it a big disappointment. A lot of reasons as for why. Maybe because they had the premiere in Austin because that was the way they paid for the bat boat by promising them the premiere. It was done on the cheap. I mean, they had no money for this thing. And all the better for it. I mean, we wouldn't want a souped up movie to play this campy. I mean, it's part of the appeal is that you have those awful outfits and the obvious cardboard sets. I mean, I doubt they lost money no matter how lowly attended it was because they didn't invest in it and everything was already existence for the series. They brought some stuff in just for this movie, not cheap stuff. True enough. But it was a low-cost endeavor when you consider the overall reach of the series and the success of it. At worst, they could cut it up and make it four different episodes. And the movie even kind of plays that way, too. But maybe we should get into it, Arnie. Do you got the plot on this? After suffering numerous defeats at the hands of the dynamic duo, supervillains the Joker, the Penguin, the Riddler, and Catwoman have teamed up, planning to take over the world. Having kidnapped Commodore Schmidtlap, and stolen his new invention, a dehydrator that removes all water from a human body, turning them into a pile of dust. The felonious foursome intend to both kill Batman and hold the nine members of the United World Organization Security Council for ransom. They kidnap Playboy billionaire Bruce Wayne in an attempt to bring out the Batman, unaware that Bruce Wayne is Batman, who easily escapes. They then try to infiltrate the Batcave with dehydrated henchmen to defeat Batman and Robin, but are foiled when the pirates are rehydrated with hard water contaminated with radioactive waste. (laughs) The bad guys finally believe they have shot down the Batcopter and kidnapped the council members and flee on their legally purchased pre-atomic submarine, but Batman and Robin are in pursuit, forcing the submarine to emerge from the water and punching the four villains into unconsciousness. The baddies defeated, the council members are rehydrated, though it appears their personalities have gone into the wrong body, and Batman and Robin quietly climb out the window as credits roll. So, it's been a while before preparing for this retrospective, since I've seen Batman. I don't know that I've ever seen this movie, to be honest with you. I know I've seen scenes of it, I don't know that I've sat through the whole thing in the past. So I was very shocked when, when this movie starts, we get a very retro noir style opening and not na 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 batman cartoon no we get a dedication that this is for the lovers the lovers of adventure the lovers of doing good 
and whatever other lovers they left out, right away you get the tone of this film. Yeah, I guess they feel like they couldn't do everything that they had done on the series. I mean, we would have feel cheated, right? The whole point of television, it's free. So why would people go pay to see something that they could get for free at home? They had to do something different. But I'm with you, Arnie. These credits, hard to beat what they had with that theme and those comic book graphics. Just perfect. It's how I think of Batman. So to see it done here in live action, I mean, they still kind of do the cartoon colors, but it's not the same thing. Yeah, but I like what they do here. If you're not going to do the same thing, what they do here was reminding me of Dick Tracy. Very much, yeah. With the primary color spotlights and all the different characters as they introduced them. Very Dick Tracy. Better than the Dick Tracy movie that came out 20, 30 years later. And they get everyone pretty much from the cast of the TV, too. I mean, you're not getting a lot of new stars here. I mean, it's sort of a greatest hits of the first season. And let's be grateful about that. Adam West and Burt Ward, who else could play them the way that they do? They almost hired a new Adam West because Adam asked for a raise. And they were like, no, we'll just get a different Batman. (laughs) Instead, they compromised and he got more time as Bruce Wayne out of the mask. Ah. Well, he does get quite a bit of time with Catwoman in this, who's actually played by a new actress from the first season. Yes, the very first Catwoman that ever graced the screen was Julie Newmar, who I actually had the strange fortune to run into at a book talk. She wrote a book, guys. (laughs) (laughs) And she basically, someone asked her why she didn't do the movie, and she had a very polite, dignified, didn't feel completely honest version of it. I can say only this. She had other things going. It sounded kind of like a chaotic set. She really only got hired over the weekend. I mean, she kind of blew in. She did her stint and thought she was done, and I don't think she realized that she had done the character they'd remember her for for a time that she put in here. She was doing a real movie, and I think that she probably regretted that now, but Julie Newmar is not the Catwoman featured here. That's the one new recast. Well, this had to be even more confusing for TV audiences because they knew Catwoman from season one as Julie Newmar, came to the movie, it's Lee Merriweather, and then they go back to TV for season two, and because season two was filmed before this movie, it was Julie Newmar again. <laughs> Well, come on, and eventually it would be Eartha Kitt, and you go in white lady to white lady to black lady, that's uh, even bigger change. <laughs> then, then all verisimilitudes out the window. And everything I've read said that this movie was made so quickly that Julie Newmar just was making another movie, and they just couldn't get her in time. And this was a rush job. They'd already filmed an entire season that had yet to be aired, and they made a movie from start to finish in no time. The writer has a commentary on the Blu-ray just talking about the number one priority was get that script in fast. I can believe it. Not make it good, get it fast. Well, it's got a ramshackle slapdash quality to it. We didn't get Catwoman back. We did get back Cesar Romero and his stash. You know what? Watching this as a kid had a black and white TV didn't know as a kid <laughs> it was a painted over mustache I didn't realize that till years <laughs> later watching this movie on vhs i'm like what's up with this upper lip it looks like he's got a mustache and you know this is back before the days of the internet where you could find out about this stuff but yeah on blu-ray it is so obvious that <laughs> there's a mustache underneath that paint to me caesar romero is the joker What else did he do? Why wouldn't he shave the mustache for the part? What is he famous for other than this? I guess I'm showing my age, but I don't know him prior to this movie. I didn't either, but it turns out that he is a 
very famous Latin actor and dancer back from the 40s and 50s. He actually enlisted in World War II, much like when Presley went off to Nam was when Cesar Romero went off to World War II. And he was a huge star for being in some screwball comedies and all sorts of black and white films, playing a variety of ethnicities. He'd done a couple of films with Shirley Temple so he was really, really famous for a while, and then his star started to set, and this was his second wind before Falcon Crest was his third. Oh, funny. I know he must have done some things, and I'm probably sure I even saw him in maybe some of those musicals that you're talking about. But to me, he is the Joker. I, I can't imagine why he wouldn't fully commit to the part. But at the time that this was made, you just get the sense that they were just doing this without realizing how iconic it would be. Cesar Romero would probably be mortified to think that this is how future generations would remember him. But it is. Oh, he was perfectly fine with it. He lived to a ripe old age. He was around in the 80s. He knew this was what he was known for, and he just loved being remembered, you know? He was old school Hollywood. Sure. I get why he wouldn't shave the mustache, because the mustache was part of his iconic image, and he couldn't do other works if he had lost the mustache. What I don't get is why they didn't just give him a different role, like King Tut or something else where they could give the mustache. At what point do the producers of the show care so little, uh, let's just cake makeup on that stash? <laughs> it's part of the spirit of the show. I mean, it's the same reason why Adam West doesn't do sit-ups and puts that over his torso. <laughs> I mean, you know, they're not in it to sell the concept. The concept will either sell itself or, like any other adult, you're laughing at it. Kids won't notice and adults will think it's part of the, the ongoing ridiculousness. No, and as a kid, I said, this is my Bixby Hulk. I remember watching this as a kid, and the Joker, he was the crazy clown. I had no idea about the mustache. He was the Joker for me, you know? And this version of the Joker, this is straight out of those 50s and 60s comics, where he's more of this menacing clown. You couldn't have him be this murderer like he started off being. It's just this clown that's pulling pranks, and Romero does it perfectly. Then Burgess Meredith who would go on to be Mickey. <laughs> yeah, he's one of the few that I actually feel has other iconic roles. Both Rocky and, dare I bring it up, Foul Play. I saw that movie so many times, but I go to those two first before I think of The Penguin. But this certainly is the third one in this ground. See, my third one isn't Foul Play, it's Clash of the Titans. Oh, yes. <laughs> but even back then, he was a name for things I've never seen. The third one, Frank Gorshin as the Riddler. He's the one that's actually menacing, that seems dangerous. The Joker here, he's the silly clown. Gorshin, he is so manic when he plays the Riddler. He's very menacing. Everyone's having fun with this joke, and eh, he might actually kill Batman. <laughs> I kind of see what you're saying. I always had a thing for the Riddler. I always did like him in this series. He was never as good as the Joker to me, but he was certainly number two. They both laugh a lot. It kind of made me wonder, riddles are a little bit different than jokes. Barely. <laughs> it's more than a little redundant to have a Riddler and a Joker in the same screen, but thank God they have different color choices in their <laughs> outfits. In my research, I found out the strangest thing about Frank Gorshin. He and Adam West used to frequent Hollywood orgies together. <laughs> There's a whole book on what supposedly went on with this set. 
not just the movie, but the TV series. And when you got, you know, Julie Newmar and Eartha Kitt and Lee Merriweather, you're not surprised to hear the words bat sandwich. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> And of course, it's to the likings of the stars to remember it that way now when they're writing books. Nobody wants to hear that it was a chase set with nothing really going on. You want to hear that it was a party. It was the 60s. And honestly, nothing sells swinging 60s to me more than James Bond and this Batman series. You know, the goofiness here. It just feels of its era. At no other time in history could we get a Batman quite like this. Everything here is not about danger and suspense and fighting the bad guys. It's a pretense for, yeah, I feel like they all are just about to tear off their clothes and go to town. And then, yes, Adam West, who this role would kill his promising career. How promising was it? He was doing quite a bit in Hollywood before this. He had probably most famous for some send-ups of James Bond, who you mentioned with his deadpan delivery. He did some movie James Bond spoof stuff, as well as being the spokesperson for Nestle Quick. Very promising. (laughs) Yeah, I would would hate to see that taken away from me. (laughs) They gave it to that damn animated rabbit. (laughs) But he really was known as a star on the rise, and after Batman... He was typecast and forced to do trade shows in the bat outfit. Yeah, it definitely is a part that once you do this, that's all you'll ever be. And you got to really think about whether you want that. It happened so quickly, I imagine he didn't have time to contemplate how impactful it was going to be on his career. But yeah, I can imagine him having a love-hate relationship with it, much like we've talked about with, you know, William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy when they got typecast in Star Trek roles. Plus, again, you don't expect it to be as big of a hit as it is. You you sign on, and especially for this, you're like, you're really not even making Caesar shave his stash? Nobody's watching. (laughs) This is a paycheck till I get my next movie. Exactly. I mean, TV comes and goes, and most people here have worked in TV on a couple episodes, and then you move on. It just doesn't have permanence. Keep in mind, this is not even an era of DVD. You know, after it's done airing, there's no other market for it. It is gone. So, out of sight, out of mind, right? Well, not in this case. (laughs) And then Burt Ward as Robin. He was an unknown, right? They just pulled this guy out of the sticks. He had some remedial job, and he's trying to make it into Hollywood, and he was told, hey, go cast for this role. And he got the job. His agent thought the studio told him. The studio thought his agent told him, and all of a sudden he gets this call. Yeah, you need to come in. We need to get some measurements you know, to, to make this mask and for a belt. And he had had the job for four weeks without even knowing it. <laughs> it went straight to his head, though. Everything I've heard, this guy was a douche. He was a total ass on set, and nobody liked him. And many, many times they're like, you know, Batman doesn't necessarily need Robin. And after Batgirl was brought in, Robin was pretty much on his way out the door. The show was just canceled before Robin could be. Wow. It's funny because Robin was a staple throughout this entire series. The show was still called Batman. It was never Batman and Robin, just Batman, even though he had this cast of characters. I always felt bad for Robin that he was never in the opening credits. I swear to God, as like a four-year-old, they go, Batman. And I go, and Robin, Batman. (laughs) And Robin, Batman. And Robin, Batman. And Robin, that was me. Yeah. (laughs) What is a ward? I don't mean Burt Ward. I mean, what is a ward? And what is it to a millionaire? 
More importantly, did Burt Ward pick that last name because it's not his birth name? Because he was the Ward. Oh, it's not his birth name. No, it's something unpronounceable. Oh, I bet you that is the case. I mean, if this was his first role, it may very well be for that reason. Huh. I'll have to read his autobiography to know. I did have to do some research, and he's playing a teenager here. Like, in the TV series, they reference him going to high school. Kind of old looking. Yeah, I mean, that's when you say ward, I think of adopted child, right? And even when you watch those serials, it definitely looks like a kid, like a teenager here. Burt Ward, I guess they could sell me on that. I could believe it. He's got that youthful look. He was only 20, so he was a year away from teen. Sure, but he doesn't ever talk about studies. He doesn't have friends his own age. He doesn't have a job by the same token all of that is true also about bruce wayne yeah but bruce wayne is rich he doesn't have to do anything if you put him in charge (laughs) of a child i would think the law would require him to educate him and i don't know make something out of this kid which i guess he is in secret a ward is like one you take care of like i've never really heard of people having wards usually it's the phrase a ward of the state for like an orphan so it's Bruce Wayne's houseboy, adopted son type thing. Yeah, the relationship as it's defined here is not that. We can agree on that. Let's face it. There's a reason why Robert Smigel made the ambiguously gay duo on SNL to look like Batman and Robin. Oh, sure. There's been that talk for years and years about a rich millionaire bachelor who brings in young boys to live with him. Oh, it was brought before congressional hearings by Wortham, who would try to get comic books banned. This was one of his reasons, Batman and Robin, teaching homosexuality to the youth. Right. And that would have already happened at this point, at the time they were putting this on. I guess they're grateful to just play it for laughs. It would be difficult to take this scenario in any way seriously. But here's the thing. There's no origin for this. You don't know that Burt Ward is... A circus boy that Batman adopts after his parents are killed. You don't get any of that. It's just Batman and Robin. You know what the game is. And from the very beginning, I mean, they don't take it seriously. In the very opening scene, if you'd never seen Batman the series and didn't know what to expect, you get it right away as they slide down the bat pole, flip the bat costume lever, and ride into town with people saluting them to the bat copter. And this is the first of the movie upgrades Batman gets. He now has a helicopter. And the only time they use it in the entire series. It never shows up in the TV series again. I guess they just didn't have the budget for it. They're trying to catch a yacht. I'd think you'd go get the Batboat for that. But (laughs) it would spoil this hilarious sight gag of Batman being lowered into the ocean and pulling up a shark on his leg. You know, we complained about that shark and Jaws not looking real. (laughs) This is worse. Or better. I like the Batcopter, though, because they gave it wings. First of all, a helicopter has no use for wings, but I like it because it's like a bat. Yeah, they got the little bat head on there. I love their flying over. You got the bikini girls with Jacqueline waving at them. The couple having the picnic talking about what upright citizens they like. This is total camp. We're supposed to be laughing at this. I love how far they push it. If this was really our police force, like, we wouldn't be doing any of this. We wouldn't be cheering them on. We'd just be laughing. I don't know. I live in the third most dangerous city in the country. I'd be happy for any effective police force, even if they did dress like fetishists. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we're on the 20th anniversary of Rodney King beating. Would we feel differently if they were in cape and cowl as they did it? I don't know. (laughs) 
But yes, the mysterious disappearing yacht. This whole plot's a little fuzzy for me. It kind of sucked to be the one to do the plot summary this time. Because the yacht is Commodore Schmidtlap's yacht. But it's a picture of it. Right? Yes. He's a captain for a yacht that's shipping his own inventions for a beer company, I thought. (laughs) They mention a brewery, for sure. Yes. Maybe you could use this kind of dehydrator when you're brewing up some ale. Yes. Powdered beer for your astronauts. (laughs) Yeah, because we want our astronauts inebriated. (laughs) I just don't think they use yachts for cargo shipments, but I might be wrong. I'm not a sailor. Or a rich Commodore. Let me just get in the middle of this right now. I don't think it's going to behoove us to go through this by (laughs) plot point. There is no plot to this movie. There are gags in this movie. This is a comedy. And as I mentioned before, this is the first time we've ever tried to even tackle a comedy. I'm of a different mind as approaching such a thing. Any other genre you can argue you can debate that works that doesn't work i don't know if i do that this comedy is real simple you either laugh or you didn't and there's no real arguing it there's no real debate to be having you're either going to laugh about it or you're not and you're going to know right from the get-go whether this is your kind of batman because the yucks just keep flying i mean if you don't like these early scenes of batman with a plastic shark on his leg there's no hope for the rest of the movie turn it off now and go watch tim burton or christopher nolan i like this comedy because it's It's so absurdist. It's not just a shark that's biting your leg. It's a shark stuffed with TNT. That's going to explode at any moment, unless you got your magic spray, which we talk about the influence of the comics. Yes, he had. He doesn't call it shark repellent, but it's an anti sea monster repellent or sea beast repellent. That's straight from the comics in the 50s. Here's my thing is, if we're talking about if the humor works, it works for me somewhat. My problem is with the shark thing. I love the shark repellent spray. I love how bad the shark looks. I just think they play it too long. Like, it's amusing, but not that amusing. Well, comedy is all about quickness, and this movie is an hour and 45 minutes. That's kind of long. I do agree, in general, for a comedy, this runs a little long, but it's got to feel different at the time. I mean, the reason why they probably let it play is because there wasn't much like this. I mean, keep in mind, this is predating Mel Brooks' Blazing Saddles. This is predating Monty Python. This is predating anything the Zucker Brothers did. Woody Allen, all of that stuff. All the people that I think of as doing real gag kind of based comedy movies, this predates it. The only thing that I could think of that was like it that came before on TV would be Get Smart. It's kind of like Get Smart with just a little bit of a superhero flash. But it's so silly that it would have been a marvel to people. I mean, it's really people's first introduction to camp humor. I don't think that modern audiences knew what that was. Irony. It hadn't occurred to them yet. They were still living in the square 50s, and then suddenly they realized that there was humor to be made of that. Not everyone was going to get it. But by the same token, here's how I look at it as far as running length and humor. By this point, it had been on TV and a smash success for a year. So when it hit theaters, it's not surprising. It's more of the same. It's just longer. And given that the way that they had aired this, which was two half-hour episodes a week forming a one-hour arc, we have now a hour 45 minute movie it's basically a four-part episode and this movie really feels to me like even though it was written for 
this movie and it wasn't adapted teleplays, it feels very much like it is divided into acts so clearly that you could just turn this into four half hour episodes. And I don't know, maybe that was part of the intent was later we'll add this to the syndication roster and air it in half hour chunks. And so make it very clearly delineated block by block with the overall arc, the way they do the normal show. But again, the pacing fell off for me from joke to joke, just to extend it. So where's the big cliffhanger? Every half hour of Batman ends with a, what will happen next? I mean, it's got to be, what, they're magnetized to the buoy and the third missile's coming at them? That's when I would have cut to the next time. Same Bat Channel. I mean... And the helicopter crashing, and they only need to do it twice. And those are at the right beats. The buoy is about 25 minutes in, and the helicopter crashing is close to 90. That is exactly where they'd be. Yep. And also in there, Bruce Wayne getting in the fist fights. You'd end it on action moments. You'd end it with the high stakes unresolved. I agree. It would be wise to think that way. And since they were using the same writer... He's going to think of the script in those terms. He's not going to think of a storyline that's going to carry them through. I mean, every half hour, it changes. It becomes a different movie. This first half is just about reestablishing, for those that don't know, or that those that want to be reminded who Batman and Robin are, how they work and collaborate with the police, all the cool gadgets they have, and who they fight. It's just all just set up, ending on this absurd climax in which they are saved so arbitrarily by the noble porpoise that this to hurl itself in front of the missiles. I did like that. It's one of my favorite jokes in this movie. I laugh. They don't even show it. It's like, how did they get away? Boom. And they delay it for about a good minute. We don't know what happens. Suddenly there's the bat boat and they just pull up and like, oh, eulogizing the porpoise. Well, they did blow up the fake foam shark, which I'm sure they would have repurposed to play the porpoise if it was still around. <laughs> But the first half hour, it's not a problem for me. Arnie, I think later it will be. But in the first half hour, I'm having fun. It's a party. It's campy. It's silly. I want my fondue set. I want my martini. I want to be in the (laughs) 60s. And I want to be having fun with these guys. I'm right there with you, Stuart. I mean, I'm giving my overall impressions on the movie as a unit. But yes, during this first hour... Through the disappearing boat, the shark repellent, and the buoy that grabs their giant belt buckles and pins them to it. Yeah, I'm having a grand time. It's very amusing. So many jokes, but some of the classics from the series were the way they would deduce clues. Something's fishy. It's the penguin. It happened in the sea. Sea. Catwoman. A shark was pulling my leg. The Joker. It all adds up to a giant riddle. The Riddler. (laughs) Again, as a kid, that's like, oh my gosh, these are the smartest people ever to figure out these clues. And these villains are so dangerous because they're coming up with these crazy clues. Now it's just funny. Like, there's no logic. It's so absurdist. And I love how it works on those different levels. And they can interpolate these strange messages and this nonsense. And yet a woman named Miss Kitka (laughs) can waltz up to Bruce Wayne and he could not notice that she looks strikingly like his arch nemesis, Catwoman. See, I would have preferred something funny and clever that could have been gotten. But what ways six ounces sits in a tree and is very dangerous A sparrow with a machine gun. Yes, on the one hand, I laugh at the absurdity, but because the Riddler's in here for two hours, I feel they overplay that hand. And a little bit of humor that would have been more play-along at home, I would have appreciated that a bit more than a ballpoint banana. 
See, and to me, that's not the joke. The joke is that Batman's like, yes, Robin, very good. You're so smart. Like, that Batman, the adult, is just going along with these absurd answers. They get worse. I'm with Arnie on this. They start off being kind of makes sense. Like, what does a turkey do when he flies upside down? Gobble up. That's something you'd read in a joke book. But later, when he has riddles that make them come up with egg and applesauce, and out of that, they're supposed to realize that the target is the UN, or the United World Building Security Council, I'm like, eh? I mean, they're not (laughs) even trying at that point. And why are they even trying to tell them what they're going to do? They're supposed to be stopping Batman so that they can engage in this plot, and instead they're giving them riddles to lead them there. I mean, it's really, yes, I will stop asking these questions. The joke is on us if you ask us. The point is to defeat logic at all costs. Batman is illogical and silly, first and foremost. I'd agree with you, except that Riddler comes from the comic books. We're going to be faced with Riddler Jim Carrey in just a couple weeks. So I don't think it's wrong to ask about the character's existence overall. And a character that intentionally wants to be caught to such a degree that he leaves clues is itself, outside of this series, a strange conceit. It's not that he wants to get caught. It's that he wants to prove that he's smarter than Batman, that he wants to create a puzzle that Batman can't solve. If the guy can come up with ballpoint banana, you're screwed. <laughs> well, that's... Okay, we're not, you, are we talking about the comics or are we talking about this movie? I mean, if we're talking about the comics, that's... The origin with the Riddler is that he wants to outsmart Batman. I mean, really, all the nemesis, all the villains with Batman is that he draws these crazy characters because he's so good at what he does. You're not going to be a normal mugger in Gotham City. You're going to have to be a crazy clown or a guy that really loves riddles to be able to take on the ultimate law enforcer. You know, I got to say, it was a bold move, and we love seeing all the villains together at once, but they're not all equally matched here. I feel like the movie ultimately is carried by Catwoman and Penguin, and Joker and Riddler, I don't know, they struggle to find a purpose, particularly Joker. I feel like he's got nothing to do. I agree with you on Joker. I would think the one who falls through the cracks for me is Penguin. I think it's Riddler and Catwoman who steal the show because Riddler has all those riddles. He's always riddling and he's the one who actually shoots Batman and Robin down. He's the only one who gets a hit in. Yeah, but come on, Penguin bought a submarine and <laughs> decked it out to look like a flapping. It's got fins and everything. It's a, There's igloos inside of the thing. I mean, he really goes with the Arctic theme in large. It's amazing what he does here. And no, come on, he's the one that breaks into the Bat Cave. And I feel like Burgess just naturally draws my attention more than the other two. Joker and Riddler, they're almost redundant to me. It's confusing to see them both in the same scene because jokes and riddles, they're synonymous, right? I mean, it's fun to see everybody here. It's all a party and I want them to participate. But for me, the strong suits are Penguin, but particularly Catwoman. Particularly as we get into the second half hour, it is about Batman, Bruce Wayne, and Catwoman, Miss Kitka. Yes, because it's Lee Merriweather. Why aren't you going to have her to be the focus of at least the villains here? I love that she fends off the other three by letting her normal house cat scare them. Like, that's how afraid they are. (laughs) She keeps trying to use that cat throughout the movie. At some point, it's like sniffing out a place in the door to put a bomb or something. She actually throws it at Batman in the climax. She's just like, here, deal with it. That poor cat. And it's a real cat. That wasn't like a dummy cat. They literally were throwing that cat around. I'm allergic, so it would work as a weapon against me. I would have to flee Catwoman if she attacked with felines. 
Use your anti-cat allergic ray. Yeah, that's yeah. right, Arnie. Just pull it off your belt. But I do feel like when it does focus on them, it's really working. I think that the courtship that they strike up, it keeps the joke progressing. It might have gotten stale if it was Batman and Robin and the silliness. But now that we're focusing on these two, the lovers, and a parody of a romance film, the kind of Doris Day, Rock Hudson movie that people would go see without irony in the theater next door, I think it works here. She's Russian. It's the 60s. He should be somewhat suspicious off the bat. <laughs> I just love when Alfred and Robin are following them around. Alfred's, he's still in his butler outfit, but with the domino mask on to conceal his identity. <laughs> and I love Robin, like, oh, they're making out. We better turn the camera off. I just can't watch it. Like, if you want to talk about bringing out that jealous boy love, that's when you get it. He can't stand Batman being with this woman. It's as kinky as you want it to be. I mean, but I love that about that. I love the bit where Bruce Wayne's been kidnapped. He wakes up and he thinks Miss Kitka is in danger when in fact it's Catwoman standing before them. So they have to put on this ridiculous charade of blindfolding him and leading him into the adjacent room where she's going to be Miss Kitka. I, you know, they have that moment where they're supposed to be working together to get untied, but you know, that you feel like if his hands weren't behind his back, he might be all over her. I mean, I do feel like this is working both as an adult kind of a sexy romp that is so typical, I think, of the era in which it was made and this kiddie entertainment. And it doesn't feel weird or subversive in any way. It actually plays just right for everyone. I like that scene a lot. I really do. The Kitka thing, I feel, went too long, though. I felt like after he escapes, Batman should have caught on to Miss Kitka's true identity far earlier. If this was Christian Bale or even Michael Keaton, you might be right, Arnie. Understand, I want to clarify. I'm not saying what I'm saying for plot reasons. I'm saying what I'm saying is because these jokes get old, and I want it to move faster. Well, would it be better if this were broken up? That's what I really think. I don't know that I even made it through in my childhood state an entire episode of Batman. You'd come, you'd go, you'd watch a little, you'd run to the kitchen, you'd get some high C, maybe you'd go pet the dog, you'd come back, you'd watch the rest of Batman. Now that we're watching four episodes back-to-back in a movie as adults, are my patients being tried by it? Eventually, yes. I definitely think it is a stronger joke when it is told in half-hour sound bites. When they get it into the 90-minute-plus feature, yeah, it's not here in the Kitka stuff. It's really in the next phase, when they get to the dehydrator, when we get to, quote-unquote, the plot, when they realize they have to be about something and not just, you know, all this winking tomfoolery, well, then they really have to admit they don't have anything in the bag. I've been trying to figure out why they're keeping the Commodore alive, even. But again, I'm, I shouldn't ask story questions, but I can't help it. It's who I am. I agree with you there, Arnie. There's no reason why to keep him around, except that it's funny that this Commodore doesn't realize that he's not sailing a ship, that he's just sitting in a room, I guess. It's a Gilligan's Island joke. We'll talk about a dehydrator or something that gets rid of water later on in this retrospective. So just something to keep in mind if this is the roots of something Nolan's going to pick up later. That's true. Is it? I doubt it. I don't think that's what Nolan's really after. But this is the stuff that seems cool when you're a kid. Only when you're a kid. The idea of a ray gun that zaps you into dust. I would have thought that was pretty badass when I was five, six years old. Now, it's funny in bits where they're getting a dustpan and trying to put it in test tubes and clearly spilling it all over the place. <laughs> I'm like, well, I got a kid together. And, and Penguin's even like, every one of them's got a mother. I mean, that, that kind of stuff's funny. As a plot, eh, you know. 
I just found it funny after they dehydrated these five or six henchmen. They tell Catwoman to go sweep them up. <laughs> they get the one woman there. Hey, go do your duty. Sweep these guys in your dustbin and put them in <laughs> little test tubes. My point of reference for 60s sci-fi and stuff is Star Trek. And whenever I'm seeing the effects here, whenever I'm seeing the tech here and everything, I always try to go back to Star Trek, which lasted for many, many years and was cool and cutting edge, even if it wasn't very successful back then. And then I have to try to de-age it and filter it through the guise of humor, and I try to figure out where this dehydrator ray would fit with its obvious jump cuts and its animated laser. The dehydration effects and the fact that they turn into colored mounds of dust could fit in Star Trek. The humor of it, these are jokes I'm not laughing at, and it's perhaps because I'm watching this movie 50 years too late. I mean, come on, Arnie. This is a detective that has a machine that magnifies super bat grain in his cave. I don't know how you're drawing comparisons to Star Trek here. They have a similar aesthetic. I do agree with you that. The color schemes, the color-coordinated outfits and all of that, they feel made on the same studio lot, if not the same set. Yeah, it's just, it's my point of reference for 60s sci-fi tech. And yes, one is a comedy and one is a more space opera adventure, but if I'm going to try to understand the mindset of the time and compare it technologically to the time, Star Trek's going to be my go-to, James Bond, my number two. And yeah, the second hour here, when they really start dealing with, as you say, the plot, first of all, an hour into the movie, I didn't know what the plot was. I didn't know what the Commodore's invention was. I was, again, the brewery kind of threw me. Why they kept him alive kind of confused me. And then when they finally start dehydrating people, they're very split on whether their plot is to stop Batman or to get the security council. I'm like, they could proceed with one without doing the other. Yes, the whole point it's said in a throwaway line is that they want to be sure that Batman and Robin are out of the way before they even attempt to do this to the world leaders. So 90 minutes of this movie is just about silly shenanigans about trying to get Batman and Robin. You kidnap Bruce Wayne because that will bring Batman. You go into the Batcave with the dehydrated henchmen because there you can defeat Batman but with the element of surprise. Everything is Batman and then they finally have to get to this world leader plot here. But it is all about Batman, and they do have to hit all those marks. I think we'd feel cheated if they didn't do all the great stuff that they do in the series. And when I think about the series, climbing the building, the people walking sideways squatting so it looks like they're climbing up a wall. I mean, they got to do that stuff, right? That's what the show is. But on the show, they had great guest stars like Lurch come out of the window. I felt like they needed to up it. Because as you were fond of saying, Stuart, when we were doing the Marvel retrospective, especially the Hulk episodes, this is a movie. The stakes need to be higher. Yeah, sure. No, I agree. And they could tell all of this faster. And it would be funnier if it were happening faster. I mean, maybe that's modern sensibility, but comedy is about timing. And yeah, is it dragging? Sure. But also the best joke we're going to get in the entire movie happens in this climbing scene. They get to the top. There's a bomb with its wick <laughs> on fire. And we get the scene that even if you haven't seen this movie, you know the scene, right? This is the scene. Yes, absolutely. And this is one where I feel like it's funny. Then it goes on too long. And then it just keeps going. So it's funny again. Yes, <laughs> It was not scripted that way. This is all stuff they added during the filming just to have contrivance after contrivance stopping Batman from disposing of this bomb. The damn three-man band. 
<laughs> yeah, the marching band is really the good. nuns, the ducks. The ducks are when I became funny again. It's like just when he reached the end, the duck. Yeah. And that's when he says, some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. Yeah, that is this movie's signature moment. And it's the scene I think of Batman. That is what I go to when I think about a good comedy scene from the series. But what's funny is with the pacing, this is right before the Penguin shows up. They take him back to the Batcave, which is another scene that I found quite amusing. I mean, I love Burgess Meredith's performance there. I love how quickly the antimatter pirates are taken out. Yeah, they just filled them up with radioactive water. I hate it when that happens. <laughs> I'm confused because they got it from a drinking fountain that was clearly <laughs> marked. I wanted some Evian. I got some radioactive waste. It happens all the time. <laughs> there is one chilling episode of the Batman series where one woman falls into the reactor in Batman's cave. Like, it was a very serious wow. and not funny moment. But yes, he does have radioactive material in that cave. And it drives the point here with heavy water particles or something. I thought hard water was what came out of the shower, not what came out of the nuclear reactor. <laughs> but hey. I'm disappointed to tell you guys, I've actually been to the Bronson Caves. They're here in L.A. You can actually hike to them. They're not far from the Hollywood sign. They don't have any of this stuff there when you get inside. It's actually, you just walk through and there's nothing on the other side. It is literally just an entrance. But I always loved the Bat Cave. This was always where I wanted to see Batman and Robin. I loved them being in their lair. This was the coolest part. Even more than the car, I think. I was all about the car. And the boat. I had all the toys from this movie specifically. I saw them and it took me back. I mean, my bat boat was this bat boat. My bat copter was this bat copter. I had them all. I just love the bat cycle, how the sidecar, you know, we're going to our helicopter, the sidecar <laughs> disconnects so you can get on your side of the helicopter. That looked dangerous. That it looked was. Like they not stop. Burt Ward almost died a few times. and Some bat boat <laughs> scenes in this film, he almost fell out and died. Like, it was dangerous. From everything I've read, the stunt coordinator might have been setting him up. It might not have just been dangerous. <laughs> I can believe it, because you can tell when something looks rehearsed and when sometimes it's like, ooh, we got that one. That's print and roll. I mean, you know, it, yeah. It, the joke is that they're pulling up to the helicopter and it splits in half so that they can both be on the correct side when they enter it. You know, no time wasted. Funny, ha, ha, ha. But the way that that go-kart pops off of the cycle it did not look like it was going to stop i was i was legitimately <laughs> concerned for a good two seconds so they get to the world security council i don't know why they don't just call it the un they filmed it at the un or at least they took some stock footage of the un yeah i'm guessing stock footage you know unless they had a bunch of polaris missiles to shoot it as well <laughs> <laughs> that was obvious, yes. I'm not that well-versed on the series. It's been some time since I've seen any of these episodes. This feels a little bit more pointy than I think the comedy is on the show. I mean, I don't usually think of it having satirical political targets, even as goofy as this one here. Does this typify what the show does? I mean, we, we finally get into what the UN is doing, and all they're doing is screaming at each other in their native tongue. No one can understand each other, and it's, what, Israel, France? Spain, Nigeria, UK, US, USSR, Japan, and West Germany. I mean, getting nothing accomplished. And they're living stereotypes, and they're almost offensive. I mean, the Israeli is yelling shalom. It's craziness. The Japanese ambassador does turn to yellow dust when they get dehydrated <laughs> later. I, again, to me, this is a bunch of hippies, a bunch of anti-establishment people 
poking fun at the establishment, poking fun at the police. I mean, the police are bumbling idiots in the TV series, poking fun at the UN, poking fun at these childhood heroes, Batman and Robin. To me, that's part of the fun. That's what makes this so 60s is how much it pokes fun at authority. No, I agree with you. And I've always gotten that about police. Gordon and and the squares, the normal society, high society, they're always the targets of these fiendish plots and the police are so ineffectual. But actual countries, I mean, were they inspired by Strangelove? It almost has like a Mad Magazine version of Dr. Strangelove to it when they get to this part. It feels not of the same piece as the previous 80 minutes of the movie. It's so random, though, that it just flies by me and I can't even decide if it's offensive or not. Oh, I'm not offended. I just feel like it's a different target. It becomes something different. I never thought of Batman in this way. And maybe I just need to watch more of the show to know. Maybe you can review every episode of the Venganza Media Gazette. They're in the mail. I'm sending them, Stuart. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) While the security council members are getting kidnapped, Batman and Robin are in such a hurry that they can't take a cab. They have to run. Come on, you've been to New York. You know what it's like. Yes, you take the cab. Remember Incredible Hulk? (laughs) But I did enjoy their running scene. It was rather amusing that they just keep running. Robin's getting a stitch, and they're quite obviously just rear-projected. I loved the camp humor of that, and I thought it went on appropriately. Not only that, but that's the only time in this whole movie that we get the Batman theme. They don't sing it. We don't have the singers, but we get the da na 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 The only time. It was shocking to me that this is the only time they use it. Come on. They had to have it. I mean, like I said, they hit all the hallmarks. I would have figured that that would have been a bigger part. I was afraid they weren't going to give us pow, biff, bam, and boom either. I mean, 90 minutes into a 105-minute film to get our biff, bam, boom. Shocking. I guess Bruce Wayne doesn't get a biff, bam, splat when he's not in the cape and cowl. They went to it every fist fight in the TV series. Yeah. It's how we think of the show, too. It's the language in which they speak. You have to do it. I guess these things get decided after the fact, and we're forgetting that they're only six months in to a phenomenon that would go on for three years, but uh, they didn't realize everything that it would be and how it would be remembered, but I certainly would have made that more prominent in this movie. And in fact, by the time this movie was made, the series had already declined, but viewers didn't know it. Because the first season was loved as being the perfect mix of drama and humor. Jacob mentioned about how this woman died in the nuclear water, and that was a big dramatic moment. And it really rode a very careful balance. By the second season, it had gone too far into camp. I think they knew that you had to have the Biff Pal Kablams, but... They'd gotten a little bit cocky by the second season, or maybe a little bit lazy, and by the end of the second season, viewership was so low, they're like, we need a gimmick, let's bring in Batgirl. We need to cut budget, let's get rid of Robin. Well, it was during this phase that they were making Batman the movie. This creative phase where they'd already gotten past their prime. And so it may be they didn't know what would work. More likely, I think, is they were already just getting sloppy. They'd done 80 episodes so far. They were on autopilot. So they have the fight on the submarine. They capture the villains. Catwoman begins to run away and trips and her mask falls off. And lo and behold, she's Miss Kitka. And Bruce almost sheds a tear. 
<laughs> I love that Kit has an acronym. I mean, <laughs> if anyone gets the full name, I kind of got some, it's like Tatiana, correct? I don't know. There's so many Annas and Oscars in there, but it was blatant the whole time. And here's the punchline that he has to look at the love of his life and slap the bat cuffs on her. And I love that Robin starts to tell Batman to let it all out. But no, lest we reveal our identities. Always the stoic Never showing the emotion, even when Catwoman, the love of his life, is going to jail. Or Miss Kitka. I'm not sure who he loved more. But, you know, there's finally a point for the Commodore as well. You know, he comes out to do the punchline with the world leaders. They've all been in these vials uh, swinging back and forth as the sub got bombed and hit. And it's made it through and everything's going fine. And then, of course, the Commodore comes out wondering what the hell's going on. The ruse is up. He knows he's not on his boat. And he, what, trips and breaks all the world's leaders. Now they're all a pile of mixed up dust. He just doesn't drop them. He, like, sneezes on him afterwards so Batman has a super molecular dust separator for just such an occasion of course he does He's Batman. He had anti-shark repellent. Of course he's going to have this. You know, there's been so many times I've wanted to separate my dust. (laughs) He's got an atomic reactor in his cave. I mean, he probably has a legitimate use for it. (laughs) They kind of spoil their own joke here. Robin says, do you think we should do some manipulation to make them turn out better? That kind of blows it when, in fact they don't come out entirely right. And when they reappear, sure, they're acting as if nothing has happened and they're still screaming at each other, but all their languages, their brains have been mixed up. And now you have the guy from the UK beating his shoe on the desk like Khrushchev from the USSR. I mean, funny joke, but they should have picked one to tell it. See, I thought it enhanced the joke because, again, it's more poking fun at Batman, poking fun at authority. Robin makes the suggestion, oh, maybe we should mess with their DNA a bit, make them smarter so they could really unite the world. And Batman opines how inappropriate that is and they shouldn't meddle like that. And then he screws up. Let's face it. He screws up. And then he just totally justifies it. Well, maybe it is for the better. (laughs) The strange mixing of minds. I'm with Jacob on this one because I find it funnier still that when he realizes this, he rationalizes it and then it's like, why don't we go? And they climb out a window. Yeah, let's inconspicuously go out the window on our bat ropes. (laughs) Yes. I didn't get the joke. Why is it the living end at the end? It says the end and then in parentheses it says the living end. I didn't get that. The living end is like the ultimate Ah, okay. All right. So I think it's a reference of that. What they don't realize is they've peaked. It is the end of the good ride for them. It's all downhill for them from here. I don't know. I I feel like maybe in the short term, when you're talking about ratings and the masses moving on to something else, sure. But this Batman iteration is here to say it ain't going anywhere. They can make a million other different versions and Nolans and Burtons and all of that have their place, but they'll never get rid of what was done here. I mean, I think that it's Mark, not just on Batman, on pop culture is very large. And it's an influence not only on superheroes and probably to the detriment of Batman. It took many years for them to get a movie launched because everyone was like, do we make it with Bill Murray? Do we make it a comedy? How do we do what they did in the TV series as a movie? I mean, its shadow is very, very large. Like Star Trek, I don't think that its three-year mission has been forgotten to this day. Obviously. Well, Jacob and Stuart, what travels through air yet carries a lot of weight? I recommend? A recommend indeed! <laughs> So, Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Batman? Jacob? 
you know, we talked about this being a comedy, and comedy is subjective. Some people like the absurd, the ridiculous. Some might like slapstick. For me, though, this works. This take on superheroes, and I like a serious take on superheroes. Go listen to all those Marvel movies we talked about. There's some serious takes that I really enjoy. But I think this take here... It's just as valid, and it works just as well. I, you know, I'm not going to try to guess what Stuart's going to think of this, but I would think that this would work maybe better for someone like you, Stuart, someone that's not involved with all the comics, that they think it's kind of silly, and they want to see that silliness played out. But like I said, as a kid, this worked as a totally serious superhero movie. Coming to it today, it's a funny movie. This is good camp i love how much it you know ninny 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 towards authority it has a lot of fun and it definitely is a product of the 60s and i love that i love the sexiness of it you know there's a reason that one of the biggest porno movies was based on batman 66 and not tim burton or joel schumacher or anything like that there is an inherent sexiness to this with catwoman who i gotta think started the dominatrix craze so yeah, I recommend this. Holy recommends Batman. I recommend Batman the movie 1966, whatever you want to call it. I think it's a lot of fun. It is not your serious take. You know, if you're coming to it thinking that they thought this was serious, no, you're wrong. They knew this was a joke and they have fun with that. Stuart. Jacob, I think that's entirely true. It, it probably is questionable whether you'll like this if you're a fan of the comic books or certainly the new movies. But if you're not particularly prone to liking superhero movies, it's much easier to go along with the satire and the vibe here. It's funny. It is silly. And it is, yes, too long. Does the joke get thin? Absolutely. All of that. I definitely think Batman works better as a time capsule show that you can experience in little bits and moments. Not even a whole episode, and I'm satisfied. But I do like the taste of it. And I'm giving this movie a recommendation really as an endorsement to the whole enterprise. It was quite a ballsy thing to do to make this the superhero launch on TV when it could have so been the stilted George Reeves Superman. I mean, no one wants to watch those. But this Batman is timeless. And I don't know that this is the best representation of the adventures Adam West and Burt Ward would have. But it's the only one we're reviewing here. I'm going to give it a a recommend for the series, the idea as a whole, even though probably a weaker recommend for the 100 minutes of actually having to watch this quote unquote plot. Stuart, I agree with you and you also, Jacob. I really endorse this as a piece of nostalgia. I grew up with it. I enjoy it. I love some of the parody that it introduces i went back and watched a handful of episodes in preparation for this i love all of the cliches it both takes me back to my childhood and makes me laugh at things that i never would have noticed as a child but Stuart, especially i think you're as off your rocker as the joker to recommend this movie because it's not entertaining to maintain its running length you can endorse the enterprise which i do and not endorse this movie which i don't Wow. Honestly, you said it halfway through this podcast, 30-minute chunks. They tried to take a 60-minute script, stretch it to two hours by just making the jokes too long. And by the 30-minute mark, I was laughing. By the one-hour mark, I was checking my watch. By the time they get to the UN Council, I wish they would dehydrate me and rehydrate me at the end credits. It was getting really painful. It's like a gregarious friend who stays too long at your house. So what's black and white and red all over? Might not recommend of Batman. 
Wow. I'm shocked. I really didn't think that this movie was not recommendable, even though I recognize your point of the pacing. And It comes down to what it always comes down to for our recommends. Am I enjoying it when I'm watching it? Or am I really wishing I was spending my time doing other things? And by 90 minutes, I was really thinking there was some paint that I could be applying to walls. Oh, wow. Well, I never got to that point. There were times where I didn't think it was that funny anymore, but there was never a point when I wanted to turn it off. I wouldn't have made it through if it wasn't for now playing. And here's the thing. I might have enjoyed it a lot more if... I wasn't watching it for now playing, and when I got bored, I turned it off, and then came back to it the next day at the same bat time, same bat Blu-ray. But watching it in one sitting was really hard. Really hard. And I can't recommend something that I find hard to watch. So holy split decision, Batman! But next week, The Dark Knight returns with Tim Burton's darker vision for Batman. Supposedly darker. We'll discuss that. Yeah, I mean, we're getting the real movie as opposed to talking about the TV series. I'm excited to return. I have lots to say about it. It was the one time that I got caught up in superhero hype. Okay, I'll admit it. I bought a Batman shirt like everybody else that summer. I was wearing it at the theater. So, yeah, let's go back to Batman. And don't forget, on Fridays, if you're a new listener just joining us for the Batman series at Now Playing, we rely on your donations to keep podcasting. That's why we're offering you series I really want. So I figure if I want them, maybe you'll pay for them. Like Alien. We got all four movies already out there floating in space. You can hear all four Alien podcasts right now. You donate $10, and you'll also hear Prometheus once we've seen it in a couple weeks, and I can't wait for that. Plus, if you're an extra special donor, we're just now starting our Spielberg Alien retrospective. Keeping in theme of the season, we are going to cover all three of the movies that he's dealt with outer space beings. Close Encounters of the Third Kind, E.T. the Extraterrestrial, and lest we not forget, Tom Cruise, who also I think there were some other aliens in that one. War of the Worlds. (laughs) Seventh level Scientologist counts as aliens. We need to include Minority Report next. We've done that one already. The extra special donors Stuart referred to are the ones who dig deep and donate $25 or more. There's a donate button at the bottom of Now Playing Podcast. We're releasing one show per week, but if you donate late, you get all the backlog in one nice package. Great for car trips, lawn mowing, or long days at the office. So, Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. We'll be back to discuss Batman 89 next week. Did Arnie fall prey to 1989 movie hype? Does Jacob cotton to Batman's use of guns? Find out next week. Same Bat Day, same Bat website. We've received a letter from Batman this morning. Please inform the citizens of Gotham that Gotham City has earned the rest from crime. But if the forces of evil should rise again to cast a shadow on the heart of the city, call Thank you for listening to this episode of the now-playing Batman Movie Retrospective Series. Well, that was very brief. Just like all the men in my life. Part of our DC Comics movie series. Fortune smiles. Another day of wine and roses. In your case, beer and pizza. (laughs) Come back to nowplayingpodcast.com each week as we review another Batman movie, culminating in a weekend of release review of Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises. My business, repeat customers. 
And while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, check out our archives where you can find reviews of other comic-based movies, such as Green Lantern, The Avengers, X-Men, Howard the Duck, and many more. If you gotta go, go with a smile. <laughs> you can also listen to our non-comic-based movie reviews, such as Star Trek, Terminator, Halloween, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Tron, and many others. Now that's impressive. You can set your bat phone to subscribe and get every new Now Playing Podcast. RSS subscription details are at nowplayingpodcast.com. What is it you really came here for? While at nowplayingpodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this show with other listeners. Don't talk like one of them. You're not. Even if you'd like to be. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. Come on, you gruesome son of a bitch. Come to me. (laughs) The link to our social media pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Oh, you made it. I'm so thrilled. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. So what are we waiting for? Let's consummate. A fiendish union. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. It's not about what I want. It's about what's fair! You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can't get capes and cowls, yet you can buy panties, t-shirts, coffee mugs, calendars, mouse pads, and much more. Alfred, let's go shopping. Yes, sir. Now Playing's Batman Retrospective Series is edited by Brock, Alex, Nick, and Arnie. They scream and they cry. Which is your day now? Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. I hate when people talk during the movie. Now Playing is not affiliated with Warner Brothers Pictures or DC Comics. Batman and all that DC's infinite Earths contain are the property and trademark of DC Comics, and no infringement is intended. The law doesn't apply to people like him or us. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Enganza Media Incorporated. This is why Superman works alone. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2012, all rights reserved. Gotta go! So many people to kill, so little time. I feel like Fox is always quick to spin off their TV franchises into movies and vice versa. I mean, Buffy the Vampire Slayer being another example. That's just kind of the Fox MO. Buffy went the other way, though. Right. I didn't say that it always went one way. Okay. I said vice versa. Buffy could go both ways. I've read the comic. After suffering numerous defeats at the hands of the dynamic duel, after suffering... Duo. I know, I was starting over. I mean, Adam Ward and... uh, Adam Ward, God. (laughs) It might as well be. Yeah. (laughs) He'd done a couple of films with... Oh, what the f*** is her name? The little girl. um, Shirley Temple. Yeah. Shirley Temple. (laughs) I hope you leave that for a blooper. (laughs) With that little bitch! <laughs> Squeaking around, tap dancing like people care. <laughs> yeah, you mean Shirley Temple? Yeah. <laughs> Guess we aren't doing that retrospective. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> when you're talking about the porn, are you talking about the recent porn parody? Yes. They also did a Christopher Nolan one far better. I've heard the opposite, but I haven't seen it. That guy who played the Joker was also the writer, and you can kind of tell. Because <laughs> he's in it a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He gets the best-looking girl. (laughs) He gets, like, 40 of them. (laughs) Your sliding scale kills me, Stuart. You can recommend this as an endorsement of the entire series. But yet, Blade 2... It always goes back to Blade (laughs) 2. I know, which is apparently some classic that I've neglected. (laughs) As, As opposed to some cheesy, almost kind of good, but really bad movie. All right. It's like a gregarious friend who stays too long at your house. But death in the family, nonstop entertainment. So what's... (laughs) (laughs) If we're calling out inconsistencies. Yes, Kettle, you're black. (laughs) We all have them.